Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist, and you're listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, the show that explores how to heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist and creator of the Get Well Now and Eat Well Now coaching programs, helping people with chronic illness heal themselves with food and the power of the mind and heart. So with nearly two decades of experience, I'm so thrilled to bring to you some of the most interesting people, some of the top names in health and wellness today on this podcast series, luminaries like celebrity nutritionist J.J. Virgin on healing traumatic brain injuries, Dr. Pedram Shoji on blending the spiritual with living a practical daily life, Chris Wark from Crispy Cancer, Dr. Kim DeRamo, best-selling author of Mind Body Toolkit, and Wynne Claybaugh, author of Be Nice or Else, and owner of the Paul Mitchell Salon Schools, and so many more. So please take a moment to listen here on iTunes, and please leave a review for for us. We would love to hear from you and hear what you think. And also, please share this show with as many people as you think may benefit. Um, You know, as we are on this crusade here to help people get well in all the different ways that we do on this show. So on today's show, I have a very impressive man who's been making a massive difference in the business world and in humanitarian efforts. Uh, Blaine Bartlett is CEO and president of Avatar Resources. It's a global consulting firm that he founded in 1987. So he has coached and consulted worldwide with executives, companies, and governments, and has personally delivered training programs to more than a quarter of a million individuals. That's a lot of people, and has directly impacted more than one million people. Blaine is an adjunct professor at Beijing University founder of the Institute for Compassionate Capitalism, and a member of the Transformational Leadership Council. He sits on the board of directors of the Unstoppable Foundation and the World Business Academy, and is a member of the advisory boards of the All Japan Management Coaching Association and the Asia Coaching and Mentoring Association. In 2012, Blaine was formally invested as a Knight of the Sovereign Order of St. John of Jerusalem. Knights of Malta. It's the world's oldest humanitarian organization. Blaine is a best-selling author of Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business, co-author of Discover Your Inner Strength, written in collaboration with Stephen Covey, Ken Blanchard, and Brian Tracy. It's an impressive group of, of uh, game changers right there. And he's the author of three-dimensional coaching, which was published in 2013 and translated into Chinese and Japanese in 2015. How he got to where he is today definitely did not follow a master plan, and he's come to believe that any plan can quickly become a trap if it's followed without question. And that's an interesting statement that we're going to explore here. Raised on a small farm in Oregon, he was the only one in his family that went to college, and If there was any secret to him becoming successful in any way, it was his willingness to say yes to opportunity when it appeared. This willingness is what he's used to keep himself more or less on track and healthy throughout his whole life. As a consequence, he has truly lived a life that is consistent with how he defines sustainable success, developing the capacity to continuously start over. Gosh, that's a really important thing to do in health and wellness. Welcome to the show, Blaine Bartlett. 
Uh, Meg, it's my pleasure to be here, and thank you for uh, inviting me, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, my gosh, you're so welcome. I was so um, taken with what you do in the world. When you and I met, we got we sat next to each other at a fundraiser dinner, and uh, we just got to know each other a little bit, and um, you were telling me about your book, Compassionate Cap- Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, immediately I was like, okay, you know, cause I'm a transpersonal psychologist. So we deal really in the soul of humans and, you know, there's really, when we look at that whole soup there, um, as a chef, I have to bring in the soup metaphor. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, you're weaving these things together. So let's talk about the soul of business and, and tell us about businesses having a soul. What is that like? How does that show up? Well, it's um, it's interesting. I think in a lot of ways. You know, first of all, you know, the title of the book kept, you know, ca- catches a lot of people off guard. You know, compassionate capitalism seems to be an oxymoron, and mm-hmm. um, certainly, I think the way that you know, capitalism is practiced today, uh, it is an oxymoron. Um, so that was part of what you know, compelled me to, to to look at this. I, you know, I've spent over forty years working inside mm-hmm. of business. And I really quickly learned uh, and experienced that just about every organization I've ever been associated mm-hmm. with, with very few exceptions, uh, seems to be toxic in some way to the human spirit. Mm-hmm. And because businesses in, in organizations are designed and developed and, and organized and run by humans, mm-hmm. uh, that seemed oxymoronic to me. Why would something that mm-hmm. is such a human, you know, such, such an institution that is so steeped in humanness uh, yes. have that much toxicity associated with it? Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the whole notion of where did the soul go? Uh, where did it go? Um, yeah, I, I, I've done a lot of humanistic readings, uh, transcendental work. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, there, you know, Thomas Troward, uh, a uh, jurist in uh, the United Kingdom at the turn of the last century, uh, the, 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 the 19th century, uh, mm-hmm. did, did a lot of writing. And one of the things that I really was struck in doing some of the reading um, was he speaks about every every exterior having an interior, ah, uh-huh. and that's where soul to me resides. It's the spirit. It's that it's that that creative source that brings forth whatever it mm-hmm. is that we experience out in the world. And I, I think you know when we look at you know, startups as an example, you know, you know organizations, you know these, these embryonic organizations yes. that spring up, they have mm-hmm. they have that spark of creativity. They have that joie de vie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the passion, the passion that all the there. like when you're starting out, that excitement yeah. that you get when you start out on a new business. And you're, you know, yeah. It's kind of like falling in love. There's that that that's mm. that, that excitement that's there, and it's it's palpable. Yeah, you, know, you feel yes. it when you walk in. And over the course of the organization's life cycle, particularly if it's be, you know, becoming successful over time, that begins to disappear in service of goals, objectives, in service of trying to control things, in service of a, a whole lot of different things. And what was the soul? What was that spark? What was that 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 passion piece? Uh, gets covered up on layers and layers and layers and layers of stuff. And pretty soon, what we have is this thing that you know people. Uh-huh. show up to and they kind of 
Resign yeah, they collect their paycheck exactly. and go home. And, you know, it's so interesting that you're saying this because, you know, when people do business and we, I mean, I look at it all the time. I'm seeing all these different coaches on Facebook and they're all saying, you know, set your goals, meet your goals, do, you know, all of that. So can you speak a little bit more to um, the downside of goal setting? Yeah, uh, it, it, it can squeeze the life out of you mm-hmm. <laughs> in a very simple way. We will mm-hmm. tend to, particular, this is particularly true, I think, in our culture today. And I say our culture, not just the American culture, but uh, Western cultures in particular, developed countries in particular, uh, where pursuit of an external objective with the intent mm-hmm. of having it bring us happiness uh, mm-hmm. gets us off the rails real quickly. And uh-huh. the, the the implication is I can't be happy unless I have that. And in order to get that, I have to have a goal. And then I follow the goal yep. religiously and mm-hmm. I lose sight of that. It's really the experience. Happiness lives inside. It's it's not external. Yes. Source. Happiness is a function of being in touch with my soul. Happiness is a function mm-hmm. of being in touch with that spark of creativity, that spark of life that gives me substance and form. Right, right. Connecting with the soul is... Right is the key, is the key to that. And so, that's what I help people with 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 healing. That's it. so their illnesses. The, so and we we are ill in uh, in business. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. business leaders tend to be very sociopathic in their way in their approach to the way that they live their life and run their organizations. As in disconnected. As in very disconnected from the consequences yeah. of their actions. Mm-hmm. And and that's the intent behind the book I wrote, Compassionate Capitalism: A Journey to the Soul of Business, is real you know, just beginning to become beginning to return to the realization and the truth that everything is connected and what i do here has implications to that over there uh uh-huh. and as a business practice uh th- there there is there is nothing on this planet that escapes the consequence of business activity Nothing on the planet uh-huh. that escapes the consequence of business activity. And if businesses aren't being mindful of and, 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 and aware of the, the, the impact that they have, they're missing an, a couple of things. Number one, they're missing an incredible opportunity to do good on the planet. But secondly, they abdicate their moral responsibility to take responsibility for the whole and and I think you know, business does have a responsibility to take responsibility for the whole because it is the most pervasive force on the planet. Yeah. And I think, too, that connection between moral values and soul, mm-hmm. you know, because that's really where those values lie. And it's when we get so bogged down in our personalities that we disconnect from that part of the self. Yeah. So... Yeah. So, so you know, the question does does a business have a soul? I believe it does because it's populated mm-hmm. by people. And you know, all an organization is, all a business is, at the end of the day, is a collection of people that are in relationship. That's all it is. Uh-huh. It's a collection yeah. of people that are in relationship, and they're in relationship obviously with each other, but they're also in relationship with values, with vision, with dreams, with aspirations. People mm-hmm. are in relation. They have a relationship with their chair, with their parking space. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's nothing in a business that doesn't have a relational dynamic. And because it's all relationship, it can't not have a soul. Got it. But it's not attended to. It's not recognized and it's not uh, honored. Okay. And and those all those pieces together, uh, well, they do make up everything. 
Um, and and if you know think you think about a business is made up with of all of those people. Um, what is there in your experience? Have you seen certain things that make people or make these businesses go off track? Mm-hmm. Um, or, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll speak here of larger organizations, but but it has a trickle down mm-hmm. impact. Uh, the the fixation on quarterly results. Uh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it it is mind boggling that we pay huh. so much attention to achieving results in a quarter. Life doesn't work that way. <laughs> interesting. And okay, I, I look to nature as a, as a great teacher and actually as a great arbiter of, of what actually should be <laughs> in many uh-huh. ways. Uh, and businesses don't run naturally. And I, mm. I mean, they don't. They don't. They typically don't operate in in a in a natural human natural flow. And quarterly results mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. one example of that. Arbitrary goals are another one. Uh, a lot of you know, revenue goals and revenue targets are pulled out of thin air, and then people are held quote unquote accountable for it. And uh. Okay. They they don't really have the, the the control necessary to produce the result, but they're held to the, you know the feet to the brim, you know the fire and all. This is why organizations mm-hmm. become so toxic. I see. They yeah yeah they they squeeze the you know there's there's the, the aphorisms people are our greatest asset mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. the, uh, there's a corollary to it people are our greatest resource. Mm-hmm. Well, when you look at this purely from a business standpoint, uh, assets on a balance sheet are depreciated over time for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. So. Um, to, this is a linguistic uh, piece here, but it's important. And resources are never not utilized. Idle resources are the bane of an organization's existence. So we always want to use our resources. So you take those two definitions. Mm-hmm. People are our greatest asset. You know, implication is we're going to depreciate them over time. There's a useful life. Then, then they're going to be tossed out. People mm-hmm. are our greatest resource. Resources are meant to be used. So we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to depreciate and use our employees. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's the experience that people have in most mm-hmm. organizations is being depreciated and being used and then being cast yep. aside as um, so much. Because, you know, my brain about healing and helping people heal is, is working because it's. It's exactly what, how people get sick. It is. Well, <laughs> you, know? you look at you know, Gallup's uh, you know, data on employee disengagement. That's a function of people not having anything to connect to. They don't have a soul to connect to. Exactly. And that's the, that's the thing that I keep trying to tell people when I work with them is that the thing that truly heals you is the soul. Mm-hmm. That is the part that brings the healing. And that food, which is the other thing that I you know prescribe for people, mm-hmm. um, is the thing that supports the biological system um, because that that healing that bringing the soul in to do the healing actually changes the structure the cellular structure in the body so and even the science of epigenetics you know Mm. which is all about the choices that you make and how that affects your your genetics and you can actually change your dna by making different choices and this is what you're talking about in business exactly we're asking businesses to make different choices to stop that whole train of this is the way we've always done it this is the way we're going to do it you know it's all about goals and mm-hmm. and um it sounds like it's very uh maybe the structure of it is what you're saying doesn't allow the flow to come in and maybe there's is there some sort of a a connection between the flow and the structure that you recommend 
Um, well, I, yeah, I think the metaphor of food is a, is a very uh, useful one, um, you know, and habituated behavior. Uh, when we look at health and well-being, from my own experience, you know, exercise is an example, and even just eating you know, in a healthy, healthy way. Uh, it, there's habituated ways that I had learned to eat growing up that were not going to be sustainable over time. Yes, <laughs> and most people are learning that over time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, what was coming in was not facilitating a, a real healthy organism. And I think that's true with, with businesses, too. You know, we've got habituated ways of running businesses that were uh, brought into play uh, about 100 years ago. And I mean, I, I, I could go back 200 years ago when Adam, 200 and some odd years ago when Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations. But the habituated ways that we have learned to run businesses are not healthy in today's environment. They, they, they served a purpose, in, but they, they, they don't work today. Things move so fast. And mm. um, we are at a point now where we're, we're not paying attention to the resources that we're putting in. We've actually polluted our resource base in a very significant way. Mm. And we're recycling pollutants. And I don't mean recycling in a healthy way. We're, we're, you know, we're bringing them back into the system and it increases the toxicity. Mm -hmm. And what pollutants are you referring to? Well, um, we can look at you know, pharma as an example. Uh, oh, yeah. The way that drugs are brought in and then how they're, re you know, how they're disposed of, you know, either through mm -hmm. organically you know, um, or metabolized ways you know, in the mm -hmm, body, mm -hmm. but also you know, they get tossed out. Mm -hmm. So I mean, pharma will do that. But then we, we have this stuff now in the water supply. We have it, yes. we have it in our food supply. Mm -hmm. And Big Agra... Uh, you know, continue oh to perpetuate. I mean, all of this stuff comes into play, and okay. it's it, it's a piece of a larger puzzle that mm -hmm. is saying business is creating this as much as in uh, experiencing it. And, and so, are you, go ahead. Are you are you finding that those people at the top of the organizations are the ones that you know are disconnected? They're they're in their own toxic, polluted way of thinking and way of running business, and as a result of that, it, you know, it trickles down to the American public through the food supply, through uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Well, I mean. The easy answer to that would be you know, to say yes, and I think that there is mm -hmm. more than enough blame <laughs> to go mm -hmm. to go around. I mean, if we go back, you know, about twenty years ago, you know, you know, big tobacco. I mean, we've got the seven mm. CEOs of the large tobacco companies standing up in a Senate hearing saying, you know, carcinogens. We don't know anything about that. Nicotine, no, it's not addictive. And they had mm -hmm. all of the. They were actually man. <clears throat> cigarettes were specifically designed to induce and introduce nicotine as an addictive component so that people would buy. Yeah. I mean, you can go on and on with this. And it was designed specifically right. to create profits. Mm -hmm. um, the purpose of business, from my perspective, is to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet. Mm, that's that's the, beautiful. That's the purpose of business. <laughs> you know, the purpose of business isn't to make a profit. Now, you need to mm -hmm. make a profit to stay in business. Sure. But the purpose of business has to be to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet. And that's not just for people. That's for the trees. It's for the uh, the fish. Um, it's mm -hmm. yeah, everything. Okay. So if business... Because as you said, it touches every single thing in the world. It touches everything. Yes. And this isn't naive and it's not utopianistic. I mean, that if, if mm -hmm. we could get behind that. So this speaks to, is it just the head of the organization? I don't think it is. If people begin to appreciate that, they start holding business accountable for that. And there's a lot 
lot of examples where that has actually occurred, you know, where people have said no more. Mm -hmm. And a groundswell at the grassroots level began to change some things. And whistleblowers are a great example of that inside organizations where they start noticing things that just are antithetical to to, to life and they mm-hmm. and they blow a whistle. Um, mm-hmm. Now there's some risk to that, obviously, but more and more, yeah. you know, with with the ubiquity of information and you know people having access to information, mm-hmm. it's it's not an accident that, uh, that this stuff gets disclosed. And that's a lot of the reason that you start to see some of the uh, you know Big Agra is a great example of this. Uh, yeah, where they try to prohibit the filming in the slaughterhouses of what goes on in these slaughterhouses. Uh, yeah. They don't want people to see how their yep. food is actually sourced. Yep, because they're very aware of how horrifying it is. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. It's the classic cover-up. It is a cover-up. You know? Yeah, it is a cover-up. So. And I think that's a big thing, too, you know, when you think of um, wellness, um, in individuals, it's the things that you're hiding from in yourself, the things that you're hiding from in your life and from people around you. The, those secrets, you're only as sick as your secrets. I don't know if you've ever I heard that I have heard one. that, yes. Yeah. So, and, uh, so can you say some about that? The notion of, uh, in, in, for me, this is how this does relate to health and well-being. An increase in awareness increases the number of choices I have in front of me. And by increasing awareness... And, and I think that you know, compassionate capitalism is 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 not so much a business practice as much as it is a consciousness practice, uh-huh. and a lot of this has to do with increasing our consciousness as a species on this planet about our interconnectedness. And when mm-hmm. we start becoming more and more aware of what that is and how that shows up, we begin to see different choices in front of us about how we can actually relate to each other, how we can relate to the environment, how we can relate to our economies, uh, how we can relate to our own bodies. Mm-hmm. In terms of- now, how, how do you help people expand their consciousness in that way? Like, what, Do you have specific exercises that you use to help people with when you speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, I do. Uh, you know, yeah, I do. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> My mother said that one time, what do you do? And I'm going, well, mom, <laughs> I don't, and, and she died about ten years ago, and she still doesn't know what I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> what I, you're like, you're like, I love organizations back to health. <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's essentially what I do. Uh, it's, it's, but yeah. yeah, I mean, in my in my speaking, uh, I, I I almost always will in a, you know, bring into you know, in, into a keynote or something that I'm doing an activity that illuminates something that okay. people didn't notice before about how they are thinking or how they are limiting themselves. Because yeah, the the intellectual understanding is one thing, but when people can have an experience of it, and all yeah, what, I do a lot of leadership development work as part of the consulting and coaching work that I do, and generally there's a couple will involve a two or three day training program in, in part. Uh, and I do these all over the world, um, but they're very experiential. They're not just sit in the. Cl- you, you can learn about leadership in a classroom, but you can only learn leadership when you're out and doing something. So I, to a degree, that yeah, can having have the people, experience of it. Yeah, having experience of it. And yeah. what are the what are the belief systems that you that you carry around with you that are not visible to you but mm-hmm. influence everything that you do? Uh, we work with you know, the, the nature of communication. How I describe something determines how. I experience it and how I experience it creates my behavior. So, you know, what I'll play with here, and this is the nature of relationship. 
how many people are married or have a significant partner in their life? And just about every, well, everybody's hand will go up. And I say, how many of you have ever tried to change your partner? Everybody's hand will, you know, a lot of laughter and everybody's hand goes up. And how much yeah. have been successful? Almost no hands go up. Right. It's really hard to change behavior. But if you mm. can change the meaning-making process, how I describe something determines mm. how I feel about it, which drives my behavior. So I want to be able to work at the way that people are making descriptions to themselves about what's going on in their world. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's, you know, we, we can call that paradigm. We can call that, you know, belief structures, uh, but, but it all kind of, you know, is intermingled there. This has direct relationship to how people actually live and work in organizations. What limits mm-hmm. me is not who I am. What limits me is who I think I'm not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I often tell people is there is a big difference between who you think you are and who you know you are. Mm-hmm. And so it's bridging the gap between those two things. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Say more about that. Well, yeah. It, it's all made up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, it, it really is all made up. Uh, you and I can have the same objective experience, but we will have subjective differences in that experience. Right. And we will basically describe different realities as a consequence of that. And yeah, because we have different lenses through which we look at the world based on our own experiences. Absolutely. So. And then that becomes the way that we live our life. Well, I want to be able to invite you know, who I work with to think about how are they defining that experience? What's the meaning that they're making up and where did that meaning matter? meaning-making mechanism come from? Mm. What are the experiences Mm -hmm. we've had? What are the histories that we've uh, brought into play? For most people, uh, 99.9% of the people on this planet, I think, the future is simply an extension of their past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The future is simply an extension of their past. And that's a crazy way to live a fulfilled Mm -hmm. life. It is crazy Mm -hmm. to live life. (sighs) I want the future to be something I've never experienced before. Right. So you're, you, well, also at some point you have to become aware that you're even participating in the creation of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say, you know, awareness precedes choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. choosing all the time anyway, but most people aren't aware that they're always choosing. Uh, so I want to, mm-hmm. an, an increase in awareness. And this, this goes to the whole notion of emotional intelligence as well. The cornerstone of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And without, and, yeah, and without self-awareness, I can't really have awareness awareness of others and without awareness of others, it's difficult to have empathy. Yes, it is, because then you can't feel for somebody else in their experience. Right. Um, but that also that says a lot about how they're not feeling their own experience. And I know I find this a lot in the work that I do is that there are a lot of people that are so disconnected from their own lives, from their own feeling, from their own bodies, you know, where they eat something and they have no idea how it affects them. Right. Um, they just they just know they're sick all the time. Yeah. Yeah. James Joyce and Ulysses um, wrote a, 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 a sentence that I love. It's actually he opened the book with this. Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and some people live long distances. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but, but that's a great, yeah. yeah wow. I'm, I'm trained as a master somatic coach, and so the body is a great interest to me. And, and, and the, the body is, is a metaphor. Is, 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 everybody has one, so we carry it with us all the time. 
And it's a great Mm -hmm. gateway. It's a great Mm -hmm. gateway to change and transformation. Absolutely. I think it's one of the best things that we've got because it informs so many things. I mean, if you even just think about the metaphor of all the things the body does, you know, like the arms hold things, Mm -hmm. um, the hands hold on tight, you know, like people who have a lot of pain in their hands, often they're holding on tight to things, to situations in their lives. They have a lot of control issues. It's not always that way, but... But uh, so anyway, so do you use this sort of because you're a somatic coach, um, do you use those sorts of things to help executives? Absolutely. I, I the, the somatic conversation, I think, is the richest conversation I, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm referencing mm-hmm. you know, in a coaching interaction, but, but I think it is the richest conversation I can have with a client. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, if we think of you know, people are continuously living out a story of some sort, uh, and I don't mean story in a flippant way, but we all have our life story. And yes. uh, I am a story. And my, you know, you, you read uh, or, or recited a bit of my story at the uh, beginning of, uh, of the show here. The story is made up of three components. It's made up of psychology. It's made up mm-hmm. of uh, philosophy. And it's made up of physiology. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I want to change a story and this is the work I do with my clients. If I want to change or if they want to change the story that they're living out, I have only three places to go, psychology, physiology, or philosophy. And out okay. of those three, the philosophy is the, or not the philosophy, the, the physiology is the easiest access point. It's the uh, visible. Okay. It's the most open to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the most malleable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a lot of people, the psychology of their life is pretty rooted. The philosophy of their life is, you know, it's held in their, their belief systems. But, mm-hmm. but what's interesting is belief systems show up in physiology. I am a walking. I, I am a living sculpture of my belief systems in life. They do. Oh my gosh, I see this all the time. What you think, feel, and believe, and how it gets stuck in the body. Mm-hmm. And how once you understand love and release that, you know, it's like, because all those parts of the self, just all they really want is love. They just want to be cared for. They want to be nurtured. Yeah, heard, understood. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. I want to be acknowledged. Uh, And those are the four ingredients that are typically missing in most organizations, which is why we have, you know, you know. The, the, the stress-related illnesses that we have in the primarily Western cultures today is, you know, we, mm-hmm. we spend you know, two-thirds of our lives at work, and mm-hmm. they aren't healthy places. Yeah, so um, you're right. Then that makes the people unhealthy, and then they go on disability, and then corporations lose out on their bottom line, and but they're so focused on the bottom line <laughs> that they're not focused on the people, and <laughs> it's just a cycle. So um, you've had great success in turning corporations around um, and, and helping them to become healthy. It's, it's sort of like, you know, when somebody's ill and uh, they start to wake up and then they start to find different ways of thinking, they start to connect to themselves and all of that. So of the success that you've had, is there like a key component that you find from corporation to corporation that is just really, uh, I think people would be like wowed by <laughs> that you like a common thread that you see as a problem. Yeah, I, I, I think a little story can illustrate it, and then I'll just kind of you know, put the nubbin on it. But um, young couple just got married. Uh, they're madly in love, just head over heels in love. And it is a marriage made in heaven. I mean, they're absolutely perfect for each other. So about a year goes by, and it's just you know, just bliss. About a year go by, goes by, um, the wife comes up to the husband, tugs on his sleeve, and says, Honey, we need to talk. 
And he goes, you know, like deer in a headlight. You know, oh my God, what's wrong? And she's like, nothing's wrong. We we I just we just 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 need to have a conversation. So they sit down and they just talk about what's going on and and talk about how they're doing and that sort of thing. And that's it. And he's going, that was all. And she said, yeah, I just wanted to talk. And so they go on about their lives. And they, mm-hmm. about a year later, she comes up again, tugs on her sleeve, and says, honey, we need to talk. And he looks at his watch and says, didn't we just do that? <laughs> And she's, yeah, I'm being a little flippant here, but uh, so he sits down and they have another conversation. Well, this kind of goes on and pretty soon he begins to get used to this and he comes to the realization that mm-hmm. what she's asking for is not to have a conversation about the relationship. What he comes to realize is that the conversation is the relationship. Mm. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's and that's the key, I think, in organizations. In organizations, people talk about what they're doing the goals, the objectives. Are we hitting the metrics? Are we hitting the targets? They don't mm-hmm. talk about how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, there's, there's the big question: that, how, how are we doing? Do, how are we relating to each other? Yeah, how is this working for you? Yeah, I mean those those sorts. Of, they seem like soft questions. They are the most salient questions you can ask and pay attention to. Yeah, if we're not doing this in our relationships at home, we notice mm-hmm. it pretty quickly. Things start to go sideways. It's pandemic yep. in organizations. If we can get people to sit down and have conversations with each other, not at each other, yes. it starts to change the tone and tenor of everything. The, the chaos is a consequence of ignorance. It's not a consequence of, of anything other than ignorance. And I mean ignorance in the sense of, yeah, because these are highly educated people. You know, they've got the mm-hmm. they've got the school learning, but ignorance yep. in terms of what it means to create and maintain and sustain a high quality relationship. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. in life is relational. Everything is about relationship, mm-hmm. and that's true in my body. I mean, that yeah, you know, mm-hmm. my if my if the relationships in my body are working well, my heart and my spleen and my lungs and my yeah, you know, it's all right. working well. I'm going to be pretty happy guy. Yeah. And and by the way, listeners, it's all connected. It's all one. It's all one. <laughs> Even though Western medical will break it down and oh, say, here's no. the heart here and here's the stomach there. And, you that know. whole Cartesian duality is crazy making. Yeah, it really is. It really it, is. You know, when, and this is a, you know, go down a little rabbit hole here, but um, you know, when mm-hmm. Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, which became the blueprint for the capitalist economic model, what most people don't realize is that he wrote a book about 17 years prior to that that was called The Moral Imperative. Oh. Now, I mentioned that for this reason. In mm-hmm. The Invisible, or in the uh, Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith described what he called the invisible hand. And the invisible hand was that hand that guided, the, you know, guided commerce. It was yeah, mm-hmm. mutual benefit. Yeah, you know, I want to. I want to ensure that you're you know, being taken care of in this trading transaction because if you're not, you're probably not going to come back to the table. So that mutual, uh, that invisible hand of mutual benefit, guided the early capitalistic model. And about the you know, mid 1900s, early 1900s, that started to change. Ayn Rand wrote a book, uh, Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, which mm-hmm. described um, a different kind of interaction, and it was organized around personal self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rational mm-hmm. self-interest is what she called it. Uh, mm-hmm. And this became part and parcel of the libertarian movement. I don't want to get into the political yep. discourse, but um, the invisible hand got covered up. 
the moral imperative, and that's why mm, I wrote this book, uh, you know, mentioned this book, the moral imperative was the soul of the invisible hand conversation. It's what informed his writing around how trade, how, how an economic model could actually benefit all. Mm-hmm. And it was steeped in this moral imperative, this, this thing that says it's all connected. And he, and he wrote the moral imperative as a counterpoint to Rene Descartes' uh, ph- philosophical perspective that said mm-hmm. it's, it's a rational world, it's a separate world. The Cartesian mm-hmm. logic is a logic of separation. Right, and but the truth is we are all connected. We are all connected. It's all We live in a large system that is interconnected in every way. And Yeah, and I would say, you know, we bring that right on down to the individual who's dealing with illness, mm-hmm. that uh, the interconnectedness within your body um, and connect, and not just your body, it's your body, your mind, your soul, it's all those different parts of the being, that holistic system that bring bring it together. And um, so, yeah, I love talking to you. This is great. <laughs> this is an amazing conversation. And I know people are going to get so much out of it because there are so many opportunities for lights to go on when we're talking about all of these different levels of society. Um, from you know the business world to you as a human Absolutely. to you as a spouse or as a um, you know a mother or it's all re- it's all relationship and if, if if relationships are working well and I'll put this in a business context again if mm-hmm. if all the relationships and I don't mean just the interpersonal but all of the varied types of relationships you know are working well, the organization is probably going to be successful over the long term. If we're not paying attention, and this is the leader's role, is to pay attention to the quality of the relationships. If the, if the relationships aren't working well, all bets are off. You're going to have a lot of discourse and a lot of uh, dysfunction. Perfect. Beautifully put. I have enjoyed talking to you so much, and I thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, Meg, it's been my pleasure. I, I love this conversation. I, I, I get on a soapbox, and I... Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> this I is fascinating it. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> These... These uh, these conversations are priceless. So I thank you for contributing your knowledge and wisdom and talents and abilities and just huge body of work. And it's hard to boil that down to 40 minutes, but uh, but you do a beautiful job. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And it's uh, it's a treat to know you. You too. You too. That's great. So um, thank you. And I want to thank you listeners for taking the time to learn more about um, Blaine Bartlett's work. And um, oh, can you let people know how they can get in touch with you and work with you or learn (laughs) from you? You've got all these great resources on your website. I want to. Two websites. One is my personal website. Uh, It's Blaine Bartlett dot com one word blainebartlett.com and the other is the company website um, that talks about the compassionate capitalism model and that's avatar-resources.com and email links are there that uh, can you know, get in touch you know, people can get in touch with you know, with me you know through those links and you work with businesses large and small or oh absolutely yeah I, yeah okay. some of the largest on the planet as well as some of the the smallest I've, I've worked with Sushi restaurants, the telecommunication, uh, oh, oil industry, the pharma, the medical. I mean, it, it's pretty eclectic. Pe- that's wonderful. Pe- that's people great. People. Great. Okay, good. So that's, that's more resources for people 
to get in touch with you over um, um and i know you've got some videos online and you have a do you have a blog or yeah i do have podcast? a blog thank you okay. yeah the, um, the blog is uh idealsinmotion.com oh wow okay and and again there's a link on uh, both of um you know my my blainbartlett.com and the avatarresources.com site uh, to the lo- uh, to the blog i don't have any podcasts okay. i've archived podcasts like this uh, that i do with us, oh okay but, uh, i don't uh, don't host one myself okay all right great all right. Well, thanks. My thanks pleasure. Again. Thank you. All right. Um, and thank you, listeners, for listening today. And if you have a chronic illness or persistent symptoms like a skin rash, migraines, a cough, recurrent infections, joint pain, other chronic pain, it could be something in your diet, in your environment, or in your emotional, mental, and spiritual life that is making you and keeping you sick. So my programs will help fi- help you find and heal yourself in mind, body, and soul, much like I did for myself when I healed my own issues with irritable bowel syndrome, ulcers, migraines, chronic sinus infections, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, depression, and um, and then most recently the healing brain injuries and nervous system injuries from being struck by lightning. So yes, it's true. I did go through that, and I have a ton of resources to help you with on this podcast series. Um, You can join my private community on Facebook called Get Well Now. And then you can go to my website at meghayworth.com for podcasts, blogs, recipes. So remember, food can heal you or food can kill you. The choice is up to you. This is Dr. Meg Hayworth. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope this podcast has helped you get well now. For more information, go to meghayworth.com to sign up for our email list get your free copy of five anti-inflammatory on-the-go lunch recipes and access to our private Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening.